tell me about your journey so far in music production and DJing. Yeah, so I started producing music in my bedroom when I was about 13, 14 years old. Um, didn't really think a lot of it, to be honest. Uh, it was just something I did as a little bit of fun. And then a few years down the line of actually producing music, or say two years, I thought, okay, I actually want to try DJing as well, because as many of the bedroom DJs slash producers, I used to watch them playing at Tomorrowland and, and whatnot, and that's something that I aspired to, to do. So um, I kind of blagged my first nightclub gig, uh, kind of got speaking to the right person and told them that I could DJ when I couldn't. Um, and then he was like, okay, and he called my bluff and he was like, if you want, you can do next Saturday. And I was like, wow, okay, I didn't expect that. Um, so anyway, turned up, um, I was 16 at the time, so I wasn't even old enough to be in the nightclub, but I was DJing in there, but I wasn't consuming alcohol and it's kind of like a creative thing, so you can do it. Um, did my first DJ gig with songs that I just kind of downloaded. I'd actually taught myself how to DJ within the space of a week um, because I knew I had to do this club gig and I did it and they said it was really good and they said they wanted to have me back um, regularly, which was fantastic. So yeah, so I kept doing that for a little while at that nightclub and I kept working on music production. I'd say music production for me was, was probably something I focused a lot more on than DJing. Um, and then I was at sort of a good stage with music production. I got my first record label release in, in 2015. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a one-way flight to Magaluf because I want to go and DJ in Magaluf now. I was inspired after going there with my brother um, on a lad's holiday. So got a flight out there, um, went looking for DJ work, found absolutely nothing. Um, because I came the middle of the season, they were already DJs sorted and they didn't know me from Adam and I wasn't that experienced to be completely honest. I had no connections, no networks. So again, I had to resort to blagging. Um, so I took a job as a bartender um, and then I got fired because I didn't actually know what I was doing behind the bar. I was very young at the time, didn't really know what a lot of the drinks were. Um, so I, I understood. And then I was thinking, okay, I'm going to just go home. Fair enough. It happened. I tried, I failed. And then I saw another nightclub that was asking for bar staff. So I was like, okay, well, I suppose I could have another month out in Magaluf. Um, went into that nightclub and asked them for a job as a barman. They were like, yeah. And luckily I was a little bit better then when I started that bar job. So I actually knew what I was doing a little bit more. Um, and then I just got talking to the boss one night and he was like, so what do you do back home? And I said, oh, well, I'm actually a DJ. I said, you know, I DJ in small little bars and clubs around Wales, because that was sort of where I was by that point. And he was like, okay, well, if you're that good, he was like, you can do the last hour tonight. And, uh, nice. <laughs> right. So again, I had to sort of put my money where my mouth was, um, jumped on, used the other DJ's songs and just showed them that I could mix basically. And then he sort of said, okay, well, you come back tomorrow, bring your headphones and your USBs. And yeah, from then on, um, I did a little bit of DJing, a little bit of bar work at this nightclub, left Magaluf at the end of the season. And when I left, I was thinking, oh, I wonder if I'm going to get anything next year. And I actually got six offers that wow. year. Um, but instead, I got offered to DJ in Bulgaria, 
um, and they were offering me a really good deal. So I took that, did Bulgaria for a few years, then went back to Spain. And just like with any industry, I networked quite a bit and then was able to, you know, make a good living DJing around the UK um, and abroad. Um, and yeah, and that's kind of been my sort of journey. And then obviously with music production, I, I sort of, you know, persisted with that. And then um, I created an alias called Bulma. And then I managed to get a release on Healthy Records for my first release for that. So sorry right. if I waffled on a bit there. <laughs> but no, it's good. It's good. So what was it like, your first ever gig, sort of half blagging it? You weren't even, you didn't even know fully what you were doing. You knew enough, but what was it like? Like, what emotions were you feeling? Uh, terrifying, to be honest. It really, really was. I remember being so scared because I was a 16-year-old kid. I'd not really gone to a lot of nightclubs. And I was going into a nightclub that was, you know, it was known for not being super friendly, shall we say, but it was uh, a great club as well. Um, and my, my mother was worried as well. She was like, what if you do bad and like people, you know, try to lynch you or whatever like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Or what if I just, you know, completely make a fool of myself because the town I was in was quite a small town. So word would spread fast. So yeah. I was very, very, very nervous. And then I turned up and they had these decks and I didn't even know to use them. Um, and I was like, I don't know what to do. I was just standing there. I was like, I can't, I can't play. I was like, I don't even know to use these decks. And then luckily I was able to connect my laptop to the mixer yeah. and mix on virtual wow. DJ. Um, and that was kind of a very, very lucky break for me. Um, and that was kind of what sort of defied sort of me thinking, okay, I can actually do this, you know? Yeah, cool. So in terms of like making music, what goes through your head in the process of it? Like, do you enjoy the process? Or are you thinking, I need this to be really good? Yeah, so um, inspiration is very important. I think before you even start a track, the main reason I'll jump onto a project and start something new is because I've like, I've thought of a song or I've had something in my head or I've heard another song and I'm like, oh wait, I want to do something similar. Mm. And that will cause me to jump onto the project. Um, although when I'm actually on the project and I'm actually producing, I'm always thinking, um, back to sort of my experience playing songs in a nightclub and thinking, okay, could this actually be suitable to play in a nightclub? Would DJs actually play this? Um, and I think that's really important to try and recreate the energy of a lot of these main room songs, if that's the genre you're playing, um, or you're producing rather, to, to, to really put yourself in the shoes of a DJ who might be playing that song and thinking, okay, could I see this actually getting a good reaction? Um, and if I, if I don't believe that it will get a good reaction, I simply just will not continue the project. Um, but for me, it's all about actually the, the song, you know, being able to support itself when it's played live and yeah. being something that people can listen to. Okay. So, yeah, that makes sense. So what does success look like when you release a track? Is it Spotify plays? Is it a good crowd reaction when you're DJing? What does it look like to you? Yeah, so I, I suppose success is kind of a subjective topic really it's really what you perceive as success i mean for my release on hell deep it didn't get millions of views you know um and plays it got a few but it didn't get you know an astronomical amount but it got support from a lot of big djs so before it was even released it got played by david getter it got played by martin Marex, it got played by tiesto it got played obviously by, by all the heldens um, Sander Van Dorn, Lost Frequencies, yeah. a lot of big DJs are playing that song. 
And for me, that, that was success for me. I was like, okay, well, if these guys are hearing it and actually willing to play that, it shows that the song, you know, has some sort of quality that, that they might like, and it shows that I've actually done a good job in producing it. So for me, that's why I perceive as success. And I believe that to make a track successful, it doesn't necessarily have to be a track that's in the top 10 of the charts. It, a successful track is a track that people listen to and they love and you get your own little fan base from that track and, and they, yeah. they really you know you get a lot of good comments on it and for me that's success Super. okay and i hear this quote about obviously quality versus quantity someone could release a track every week but it might not be very high quality what's your uh, approach to it yeah i 100 percent agree i think in any creative industry there's always a, a sort of differential between the creative side of it and the industry as a business. And a lot of producers get caught in the latter where they feel like they've got to pump out these tracks to continue this momentum. And that's fine because it does work. If you keep the momentum up and, you know, yeah. it's like the shotgun method, eventually you will hit something. However, for me, I believe in the actual craft of music production. And I'm not necessarily doing it to get famous or anything I'm not really bothered about that I do it because I love producing music and I feel like the music that I produce is a reflection of myself and my abilities so I would never release a track that I wasn't absolutely 110% on but that that's obviously quite contentious because a lot of producers would disagree with me and say you should release a track um even if it, it's never going to be perfect just release it but yeah. I suppose everyone's got their own way of doing things and, and that's that's my way of doing it Okay, that makes sense. And when it comes to releasing tracks, there's a massive debate about using record labels or going independent, especially like with the social media and everything. Would you, what approach do you use for that? Would you use your own uh, social media following or would you try and get it signed by record label? Um, for me, it's a little bit different because my first release on Bournemouth was my first release. I mean, it was the first song I ever released under Bournemouth, so I didn't really have any following to yeah. sort of to sort of draw on, you know, I could upload it somewhere and hope for the best. Um, a lot of managers have told me in the industry that producers who create their own record labels and build it from the ground up releasing their own music on it tend to be a lot more respected in the industry. Um, and I can see why, because obviously you're creating a, an imprint as well as a brand. And, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I can see that. But for me, I think genuinely the most effective way of just releasing good music and getting name out there and, and getting that following is by releasing it on a good record label that has connections to a DJ right. so can spin that track and you know ha has a very good marketing team because to do that on your own with you know maybe not a lot of money or maybe not a lot of knowledge on in the industry is, is it's a very difficult thing to do okay that makes sense and when it comes to your process of approaching record labels what do you normally do do you email them or is there any tool that you use um, so yeah, I, to be honest, I don't even email them anymore. Um, I used to send hundreds of emails of my demos to, to labels and I wouldn't get yeah. anywhere, um, as many producers do. And it was very frustrating. Um, so what I realized that I needed to do really was actually network with people who work within the labels, um, build connections with people I can actually speak to and say, oh, by the way, I've made this to another, listen to it. Cause that. Yeah. That's, you know, the, the ratio of tracks getting signed from that method, as opposed yeah. to, you know, just sending it to a record label email is like 100 to 1. 
you know wow. um so i'd say what what if, if you really want to get your tracks onto good labels networking is far more important than just sending a million yeah. emails with your with your track attached to it so even like finding a name of someone on linkedin who's attached to a record label finding the a and r person i say i'd say it does massively depend on your circumstances so for me i was a dj that went and played out a lot of clubs and i got speaking to a lot of different people which would help me a lot however if you're not a dj that does that then yeah absolutely finding a and r's emails from linkedin and, and trying to talk to them and, and trying to get your track across and and definitely networking with djs already on the label is a very good way to do it because you know you're still networking just in a slightly yeah. different way it's, it's not in a physical way um and you know i i'm not are all saying that A&Rs don't check their emails and they don't listen to songs that are sent to them. It's just yeah. they get a plethora of music sent to them daily. So it's just it, to get your track heard is obviously a lot more difficult to, doing it, you know, without any sort of connection or any sort of word of mouth that's put you in a position where you can speak to them. True. Okay, that makes sense. And you've released, I think your first release was on Deep Blue Records, is that right? No, my first release is on a, a Swedish label, or sorry, a Swiss label called WAP Records. Um, okay. It doesn't exist anymore, I don't think. Um, and then after that, yeah, I got a release on Deep Blue Records. But, okay. you know, my release on Deep Blue Records came from a DJ that I used to DJ with in Magaluf. I knew him. Oh, wow. Um, and I got talking to him. So, you know, I suppose if I had just sent, you know, it to him in an email, maybe it would have got signed, but obviously knowing him, more. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And what's it like? What's it been like the difference for you getting a release on a small label compared to a big label like Heldy? What is there any difference? What would you say the difference is? Oh, yeah, I mean, there's a massive difference between getting released on a small label as opposed to a big one. So when I got my releases on like um, Deep Blue Records and Up Records, yeah. yeah, you'd get a few plays and a few cool comments. But when I released on Heldy, I had this literal fan base kind of it was almost like feeling a little bit famous i know that sounds weird but there yeah. were people like yeah. commenting like you know love from china and love from all these cool countries and then there were yeah. people like yeah. saying who is this bomber guy you know he's just come from nowhere and then there was speculation that my brand bomber was an alias of all of the heldins and people were oh. saying that it was a heldins alias and there were people like you know this guy is sound this and that like we really want to keep updated so you just get so much more traction doing it that way. And of course, another yeah. major difference is, is getting it played by, by A-list DJs, like obviously yeah. such as Garrix and all them. Um, you know, on a small label, it's very unlikely that you, you might get in that position straight away, unless your track is so good that regardless of the label, it just shoots to the top 10. Um, but it's very difficult because the, the, way, the way record labels work, um sorry just give me a second the, the way record labels work is you'll send them a track um they release the track but they do a pr campaign before it actually gets released so they'll spend time sending right. it to all these before it's released and saying okay what yeah. do you think of this um and then they tend to get played that way so yeah i'll see and what was the process like approaching a small label compared to like hell deep was it more personal was it more how did it feel like speaking to label yeah, I mean, it was it was it was a lot more personal approach in Heldy. Um, yeah. I knew somebody who who knew Oliver Heldens, um, and I spoke to her, and I was like, "Look, is there anything you can do?" And then she sort of passed it along, and then 
obviously Oliver just messaged me out of the blue on uh, on WhatsApp. Uh, that was that was pretty crazy just seeing that. Um, so yeah, of course it was a lot more personal. Um, it wasn't the standard thing that I'd done for so many years of just sending a a, a, a track via an email. Um, but at yeah. the same time, you know, I I feel that I don't even think the track would have got listened to um, had I just sent it to loads of different labels via email. It might not have got listened to as much as. As, as someone actually saying, oh, you know, I know this guy, he's made this track, you know, you know what I mean? Wow, but, that's literally who you know, isn't it? Literally. Well, in the music. Yeah, I mean, it is who you know, but at the same time, the track has to be good. And it has True. to be very good. Because, yeah. and that's not, to, you know, that's not to say my track is, is extremely good, but, you know, yes, I have the, you know, I, I had a very lucky opportunity to, to, to have my track passed on to, to Oliver. But at the same time, if the track sounded like garbage, you know, yeah. You probably, yeah, you probably listen to it and go, okay, well, that's not really for, for us. Um, it just so happened that the track was, you know, in the style of what Heldick was releasing and, and he liked it that, I, you know, that I actually got somewhere. So I'd say it is 50% about who you know, but the other 50% yeah. is really the quality of the track because there's no point in having all these connections. If, exactly. if your music is just not good enough to be released, they're not going to do it. Um, you know, and, and that, that's just the way it is. Okay. And in terms of building your own brand on social media, got all these platforms, how do you stay on top of it? So I struggle, to be honest, to stay on top of the, the branding stuff. It's, it's quite time consuming. I, I know a lot of music producers and DJs who do it full time can spend a lot more energy into yeah. posts on social media and whatnot. But for me, um, as it stands, I work full time. I work on the weekends and I have very little time to actually put effort into you know, branding and stuff. Um, so to be completely honest, my, my marketing skills are awful. Um, I'm just relying on the fact that my music is good enough yeah. for, for, pe for people to sort of, to sort of see past the fact that I can't post every single day. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's obviously if I, if I, if I could, I would, but I've just not got time to spend all day on social media and making content for social media. I've just not got time. Okay. That makes sense. Cause you hear about people saying like obviously it's hard to make music and then post on social media like you can't do everything at once but i suppose you can't really measure your return on investment from a social post can you it's hard to like, measure yeah absolutely i mean a lot of a lot of producers will say that you know marketing and branding is everything but it's not it's it's really really not you know um networking and the quality of your music is everything you know you market and you brand and if you want to get booked for good gigs obviously you need a following but at the same time, that's not, you know, that's, you, you can, you can accomplish a very good following just from releasing a track that does really, really well. People will find the social media and they'll go, okay, even if he's not going to be posts, I'm going to tune in because I like music in it or she. Yes. Um, and that's, that is just the way it works. Okay. That makes sense. And when it comes to like, obviously a music career, what do you think about setting goals? Do you think goals are, are beneficial or damaging? Um, I'd say, I'd say it depends on the sort of type of goals you're setting. So goals can be very productive in the sense of like, I need to finish this track by a certain amount of time. Um, okay. you know, like I've got a goal for my next track. I need to finish it by a certain amount of time. And that's what I plan to do. Um, but if you're setting these constant unrealistic goals, then that bleeds into setting unrealistic expectations and then you're at a position where you're constantly 
feeling defeated because you might not necessarily be able to reach these goals you're setting yourself. And I'm talking about some some person who's just started to do some music when I want to be DJing in Tomorrowland in two years. You know. Yeah. So I'd say goals are productive when they're set properly, um, and they're set realistically. But it, you've, you've also got to be very realistic in the goals that you set. Um, yeah. So yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Did you set yourself any goals when you first started out, and how would you say have you, would you say you've reached the goals that you've set yourself? I didn't set any goals for myself, to be honest. I set expectations of where I expected yeah, to end yeah. up. Um, but in terms of goals, not necessarily, because um, the thing is, is, is life is so interchangeable and the music industry is so interchangeable. And whereas you might be an expert at producing a certain genre, that genre might be rendered, you know, insignificant within a year and another genre takes over. And so you yeah, can't yeah. really plan to, to, to be at a certain point because it, it is purely by chance, to be, to be completely yeah. honest. Um, I mean, I'll, 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 be, I'll be straight with you. Like when I was 16 and 17 and I was producing music, I was like, gosh, like I was thinking to myself, I was like, I'm, I'm going to be like a world famous DJ and I'm going to be playing these huge gigs in a few years. Yeah, um, yeah. That didn't, you know, that didn't happen. And that wasn't because I didn't want it to happen. That, that wasn't because I, yeah, I didn't want it to happen. That was because I decided that other things in my life should take more priority. And right. as, as someone who's DJed a lot, over the years, I've realized that, you know, being a DJ and touring is actually not the lifestyle that I really want. I'd like to do it here and there, but I don't want to be a DJ that's constantly on the road and constantly touring. Um, because for me, that's just not where I want from life. And that's not, you know, that's not why I produce music. Okay. On that note, do you have any regrets of the choices you've made so far with your music like career? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, then. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to say I regret things because there's things that at the time I might necessarily have thought was a bad move, but then I found out later down the line, it's actually saved me from a world of other catastrophe, so we yeah. say. Um, okay. But I mean, you know, things I do regret is obviously not spending as much time producing as I should be. Um, like when I got this release on Healthy, I had so much time off um, yeah. producing music because other things just got in the way. Um, and another thing was I was becoming far too self-critical on the music that I was making. So I produced these tracks and I was like, okay, now I've got this release. I've got the release that I wanted. I wanted Healthy for years, since, since 2015. Yeah. Wow. So five, five years I wanted to get on that label. And then I was like, I finally got it. And every track I'd make, I was like, it has to be the absolute best of the best. And I was just super yeah. self-critical. And I regret that because now I listen back to a lot of those projects that have come away from it. I was like, they're perfectly good tracks. And yeah, um, yeah. it's just that I regret being so kind of kind of hard on myself, really, at the time. And I'm putting so much pressure to, to make the next big thing. And then just walking away from it and having so much time out. I think that I should have really, you know, understood that I've got to this position because I've worked for it and just tried to continue a bit of that, you know. Yeah, really that's it. And I suppose... My next question is, a lot of producers have the same problem where they have a folder full of 50 or 100 tracks that are unfinished. Do you have that problem? And if so, how do you sort of combat it? Yeah, I've got hundreds and thousands of projects which yeah. I've done and are not finished. And I think it's actually a really good thing. 
a lot of people might say that it's stupid and you know why you start a track and then just start another one but at the same yeah, time yeah. you've got to understand in any sort of art and any creativity there's always going to be a sketchbook and that's what your folder full of your project is it's a sketchbook yeah. and then you find one thing that could become a masterpiece and you paint it and you finish it and right that's what music is. So I think it's actually very productive to to go through a lot of projects and different ideas because obviously you're constantly getting inspiration. And then, yeah. you know, and then at least in a few years, if you're looking for inspiration, you've got all of these projects to come back on, which has helped me so much um, of having these projects to come back on when I've been in a dry spot. Yeah, okay, so that makes sense. So your sort of mentality is use the spur of the moment, any like inspiration you get and work on something and if, and if you don't finish it you can always come back in the future sort of thing yeah absolutely yeah just you know it maybe it's just the way i do it but yeah. if i get something that comes into my head i've got to put it down into a project right. it's, it's like that feels that's a really cool idea at the time and then yeah. you know you might listen to it and go yeah no, it's not that good or you might listen to it and go oh my gosh like i can really make something good with this yeah and and you know and, that, and and you continue to do that makes sense super and when it comes to obviously before you release a track you have to mix it and master it and make sure it sounds professional what do you think with like lander for example online mastering services compared to using a person to master your, your tracks so i'm a i'm actually a mixing and mastering engineer so as a side a hustle, yeah yeah as, as a side hustle i obviously <laughs> do it as well now I've used Landar before and I've used programs like that before and you can't use AI to replace the real thing. Landar might be a cheaper alternative and yeah, a very yeah. good and, and complex program which I think is it's really well designed but it's never going to be as good as someone physically doing it. And even though I'm actually a mix and a master engineer and I get paid to mix and master my own tracks, I send my tracks to another mix and a master engineer because right. The important thing for me is having somebody else with a lot of experience listen to your right. track um and their ears on it is very valuable and very important so yeah yeah that's that, that's that's sort of why i think a person is just is always going to be more valuable than any ai algorithm yeah makes sense okay super and in terms of the electronic music industry and the dj and producing industry um how do you think it's going to change in the next few years? Like, can you sort of foresee a big change in the industry? What in the, sorry, in the DJ industry or the music industry in general? Uh, music industry in general. Um, I'd say the music industry, you know, the music industry is always going to remain constant. There are always going to be tracks that, you yeah. know, reach the charts. Um, I'd say the genres which are really coming through now is obviously techno and tech right. house, they're becoming bigger and more mainstream genres. Um, but also on the flip side of that, you have a lot of these rap artists with very yeah. complex names that are becoming quite popular. And I think the, the way in which we, we process um, new releases is gonna change through TikTok. Um, most people are getting their music from there and the songs that are becoming popular on TikTok are actually becoming songs are in the charts now and and so yeah. it's hard to say what specific genre will become popular because if, if i knew that answer then i'd make a lot of people very rich including myself but um the way in which we can see music is very clear that you know social media is going to be the most pivotal 
um, platform in, in actually getting new music and actually deciding what, what's popular and what's not, I think. Yeah, okay, super. And in terms of getting noticed, do you think with all this social media noise, do you think it makes it easier or harder to get noticed as a producer? It's, it is a very, very difficult question because the two are completely balanced in one respect. So yeah. in one way, you've got every producer trying to shoot their shot on social media and go viral and get noticed. So it becomes a very saturated market. Um, however, social media, despite all of that, does give a producer the opportunity to be very unknown, make a track, and it goes on the right video, the right person, yeah. it gets seen by the right people, and it absolutely blows up. So I think the two kind of balance each other out, really. But I think that, that you know, the takeaway from it all is that social media is here to stay, and it's a very, very important tool that producers can use now. Um, but at the same time, it's, I, I feel like social media isn't really testament to the quality of music. It's testament right. to it's testament to the tracks that just go viral because they're on the right video and that becomes a trend. Uh, but that doesn't okay. necessarily reflect the quality of the song, um, which is a bit of a shame, really. But I feel like producers now will start making their songs a bit more TikTokable, shall we call it? Yeah. Um, and a bit more, yeah, viral kind of geared towards becoming viral. Makes sense. Okay, cool. And a question on obviously your DJ career so far, what would you say are the best and worst moments? Because obviously you've had residencies all over the place and you don't like the lifestyle of traveling and the DJ lifestyle. What mm. is it that you don't like and what is it you do like about it? Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of a difficult one because there's things that I don't like about it, which I also like. Um, <laughs> so for me, I love that the DJ industry and, and what I do has given me the opportunity to go to so many cool places and meet the most amazing, talented people you could ever come across. Um, and on a personal level, it's, it, it elevated me socially. You know, I was just a nerdy little kid who produced music. And then yeah. I was DJing in, in these super clubs abroad and being, you know, the poster boy. And yeah. any kid who's like 18 years old, 19 years old, that's just such an, an insane thing to see and getting all this respect. And I love that. But, yeah. you know... That's not why I do it for the, for the attention and the glory or whatever. I think what I'd really love most about it is performing, just seeing the right. crowd well to something that you've put a lot of creativity and energy into and, and, and having that admiration for music that you make and, and, and something that yeah. you are so passionate about as well. Now, the things obviously I didn't like about it, um, there's a lot of people in the industry, in the DJ industry, who do not have good intentions and right. they're very snaky. They will, yeah. you know, undercut you or they will, you know, try to talk bad about you behind your back and, and they'll try and sabotage your career. And I think going far in the industry allowed me to see a very dark side of it. Um, and that's something I didn't like, but, you know, it, it's, I suppose it's the same in many industries, really. Um, yeah. I suppose my, my lowest point really was when I was doing seasons abroad and... Yeah. You don't get a night off when you're doing seasons abroad. You're DJing seven days a week um, right. in, in Magaluf. Um, in Bulgaria, I did get some nights off. but um, And you reach a point where you're so out of touch socially because you're DJing all night and then you're going to these after parties and then you're 
sleeping all day and you're yeah. just so out of sync with everybody else and you fall into a bit of a depressive state because you're kind of just you, you the only thing you you do when you're awake is go into a nightclub and you're surrounded by loud music and drunk people and for any sane normal person that's going to take a toll and the bar staff you know the managers they all have to go through it but as a right. dj as a DJ, there's that added kind of element of pressure because if you don't do a good job and the, yeah. club, the club empties or you make a mistake, people notice. And that could mean right. the end of your job because it's a very saturated market. There's a lot of people trying to do it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the, the thing that, that put me in a bit of a low place when I was doing it was the repetitive DJing every single night, just being surrounded by loud music, drunk people, but combined with the pressure of having to perform every single right. night because you know that if you slack and you slip behind, they could just find somebody else. Um, and that's always, that's always at the back of your mind. At least it is mine as a professional. Wow. Okay. But would you say if someone's looking to do a season abroad in Magaluf or Bulgaria, would you say the positives outweigh the negatives in your mind? How would you say? Yeah. Oh yeah, the, look, the positives absolutely outweigh the negatives. I wouldn't do it yeah. if it, if it was the other way around. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I I would sleep most of the day, but on the days that I would get up early, I'd have the most amazing experiences. Like I would be on jet skis with my friends. I'd be flying yeah. a plane around Mallorca. I'd be going to these cool villages and, and riding my moped around the island. You know, spent getting paid to live in such a great country is like. It's incredible. Um, and then, you know, you're DJing and these people are going absolutely crazy for the music that you're playing, you know, yeah. and they just, they just having the best time and you're having the best time and, and you've got all these amazing acts that come in. Yeah, you know, yeah. I was DJing with Joel Corey. I was DJing with Marvin Humes. I was DJing with, with all of these amazing, you know, artists I used to come in and play. And that's just, you never will do something like that in, in, in your life without, without thinking this is incredible and unless unless you're very blasé but i certainly yeah being a little valleys boy who came from you know a very small town it was uh it was it was it was magical man cool and in terms of like obviously technical djing versus what the crowd wants how much would you say a d like the skills of a dj is it how much is it would you say playing the right song versus knowing how to mix from one song to another yeah so i'd say the ratio of track selection to yeah. the mixing is about nine to one. So track selection is far, far more important. Um, a good DJ knows exactly what to play and when to play it. Um, yeah. And a good DJ can look at the crowd and know what they want. The crowd doesn't necessarily care as much right. about how you mix the track as opposed to what tracks coming in. Um, but at the same time, a DJ who, who can play very well um, and mix very well and surprise the crowd with these really cool transitions is obviously yeah. obviously really good as well. So, yeah. Okay. So if someone said, oh, you're a good DJ or a bad DJ, what would you think they were talking about? Yeah, I, I think that they were kind of more on the side of track selection. I, I think that they'd, for me, for me as a commercial DJ, yeah. um, knowing what to play is very important and, and being able to read the crowd is very important. So when somebody says you're a good DJ, for me, that means, okay, I've understood what the crowd wants and I've kept right. them in the club by playing what they want and being very yeah. flexible. Um, you know, uh, and yeah, I mean, 
it depends who it's coming from as well. If it was a yeah, club yeah. manager that said I was a good DJ, that's what I would think. But if it was another DJ that said I was a good DJ, I'd assume it was maybe more on the technical side and, and doing these wicked transitions that we, we all try to learn to do. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it makes sense. Super. And um, final question, what advice would you give to anyone who wants to start out as a DJ or producer, like right now? Um, I'd say do it because you want to do it. Um, I mean, this is advice that I've been giving for years. A lot of people start because they see the kind of the good side to it and they see the glory and the touring and the, and the women and well, yeah. maybe the men, I don't know, whatever you're into. Um, and the people who go in to music production and DJing with bad intention, they very rarely do well, unless they've got the money to pay ghost producers and pay a marketing team. If you're just trying to do it as, as yourself, then it's, it's, you know, you're not going to do well if, if that's at the back of your mind. To produce music and, and to become a good DJ and, and to actually get recognised for what you do, you've got to love what you do and you've really got to system yeah. data and, and, and keep trying to, to improve what you do. Um, and I think if your intentions are pure and, and you understand that and you produce music and you DJ because you genuinely love it, then, yeah. then you will succeed. Um, but at the same time as well, one thing I'll say which is very important is to always have in the back of your head that the music industry is a business and yeah. that music is played for people who go out on, you know, maybe like a night out and they enjoy the music and you've always got to have, depending on what genre you, you make, of course, you've yeah. always got to have in the back of your head, okay, are people actually going to listen to this and are people going to enjoy it? Because, you know, if you're making 170 BPM techno, um, yeah. you want to be a commercial DJ who's headlining, you know, some ridiculous well-known festival then you've got to consider whether that's actually going to be plausible yeah okay so it's got to sort of be your what you enjoy doing like um be self-aware that you're doing it for yourself not for some external motivation as well as be practical because the music you make if you want to do well it has to be commercially viable sort of thing yeah i mean of course if you're if you're producing in an underground market as well and you're producing underground market that's fine but as long as you're I think the most important thing is that if you're making music for a specific audience and you know what that yeah. audience is, I think that's the right. important thing because if you're just making music and you don't really know, you know, where it's going to go and who's going to really listen to it, you just lose direction and then you don't really know where to apply yourself. So right. I, I think an understanding of, you know, who am I actually producing this for? Who's my audience? That's something yeah. you really got to consider when you're actually producing music. Makes sense. Super. Well, that's, that's it. Thanks for coming on Dylan it's been hey, a pleasure hi. to speak with you and uh, yeah cool catch you later pleasure all right mate thanks